I still recall from the books I read All the great empires built in my head But every year I raise one more I bought it all and I dropped off But I'm, I'm still seeking something I'm still seeking something Hello and welcome to another whiz-popping episode of Seeking Tumnus, a podcast where we claim to read young adult fiction but keep getting caught up with preteen guff. <laughs> we did feel a little inclined to revisit a particular preteen classic this episode on the back of a fancy-looking new movie release, but going forward I'll try my very best to encourage my fellow hosts to challenge themselves to some slightly harder books. My name is Laurie and I'm joined by my chums... The astronomically gastronomical Brie. Hello. And the phenomenally comical Keith Rowe. Uh, good, good evening to you. <laughs> I liked mine tonight. That was a good one. Apologies from the historically prodigal Patrick Moon. Three, two, one. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> the subject of our exploration today is the BFG by Roald Dahl. Before we go on, our warning. If you is a chiddler or you was once a chiddler, then I is suggesting that you is reading this scrumdiddly umptious book by Dale's Rod. You noisies, mind your own parkers and read about the big friendly giant and then you is listening to Tumnus Sneakers and you is hearing all about it. You is minding my bees and waxing my understanding. Serpently. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. I am out. I'm done. No more can I do. That was splendid, Bree. Thank you. It really was. <laughs> you just made all our accents sound just a little bit better. <laughs> Before we squeeze out all its juices, let's have a little sample of page one. The Witching Hour. Sophie couldn't sleep. A brilliant moonbeam was slanting through a gap in the curtains. It was shining right onto her pillow. The other chill it were you going to say the other chiddles? Yes. <laughs> the other children in the dormitory had been asleep for hours. Sophie closed her eyes and lay quite still. She tried very hard to doze off. It was no good. The moonbeam was like a silver blade slicing through the room onto her face. The house was absolutely silent. No voices came up from downstairs. There were no footsteps on the floors above either. The window behind the curtain was wide open, but nobody was walking on the pavement outside. No cars went by on the street. Not the tiniest sound could be heard anywhere. Sophie had never known such a silence. Perhaps, she told herself, this is what they called the witching hour. The witching hour, somebody had once whispered to her, was a special moment in the middle of the night when every child and every grown-up was in a deep deep sleep, and all the dark things came out from hiding and had the world to themselves. That's it. That's page one. I believe I've talked about this before, but I'll quickly recap. I love it when authors work with the notion that there is our world and then laid over that world when we're asleep or at the corner of our vision or just beneath the streets or in a cupboard, there's this 
another world, another world that is just inches out of reach waiting to be discovered. In this book, The Other World is a time, the witching hour, and as a kid it tickled me to think that a temporal window existed that could unleash beasties upon us, and it tickles me still. So for me, that's a win. What about you, Brie? I am fascinated to hear what happens next. The one thing that's missing for me is more of a hook. I agree with you, Laurie, about that secret magic time where you wake up in the middle of the night as a kid and the entire house is silent and the pin drops or you hear a a squeaking sound outside and you think your mind immediately is drawn to what could be going on. Martin the Warriors outside. (laughs) (laughs) It's more like Clooney. Sorry, not home. (laughs) (laughs) Yet it's missing that little roll dial. What's the trick here? Where's the little, where's the excitement? That's what's missing. Keith? I was really looking forward to being read some dial by Laurie and I must say that I wasn't disappointed there. I really like the opening of this book and it's a bit coming from a, a biased position knowing what comes next, but I really like the atmospheric build-up and the fact that we don't necessarily know what's going to happen. So the mystery there is something I like in books and it's, it's a good start for me. There's only perhaps two or three more pages before the end of the chapter. And the hook does come very quickly, doesn't it? Yes, but I'm just waiting for that. So so I almost wondered whether you would read the whole first chapter because it is so short. And for me, that really completes it. It's this mysterious shadow that she perceives moving down the street. And for me, that's the hook. That's the bit that's like, well, yes, that's exactly what can happen in the middle of the night. A giant, thin, dark shadow. It's Well, you've probably got page one still open in front of you. I couldn't remember the exact words. But, yes, exactly. It's what is this? What is this thing that's coming at that magical or mystical or scary time of the night? Who knows? Yeah, I think this is about as close as Roldar gets to burying the lead. So maybe that's why you're a bit disappointed, Bree, because it's not, not normal that you have to wait in a Roldar book. And, look, you don't wait from then on. Like, it becomes very exciting very quickly. Where does Sophie's insomnia lead us, Keith? So, this is a fizz-whizzing book about a chiddler orphan human being named Sophie who is just a titchy bit stolen by a mysterious 24-foot creature called the Big Friendly Giant. He takes her to a flagaway place called the Giant Land, where Sophie learns that the BFG uses his jump-squiffling hearing to locate and bottle up dreams, and together they go on a royally hopscotchy adventure to save the world from a catastrophic set of grunctious giants who eat nothing but human beings and are led by the troggle-humping, fizz-wiggling, flesh-lump eater. Mm. Did you catch that? (laughs) (laughs) So basically there's some giants, they eat people, and there's one friendly giant who befriends Sophie. Yes, he takes her away, he steals her from her orphanage and takes her to the giant land where she is thrust into immediate danger. (laughs) (laughs) Which in real life is incredibly scary. I mean, this creepy, huge giant steals this child away from where she's, well, an orphanage, which admittedly they make a few throwbacks about how not nice the orphanage is, but it's this giant stealing a child. It's kid snatching and there's not much of a hullabaloo that's made. She is very stoic. She doesn't respond to this kidnapping with tears and screams and shouts. She's Yeah, she's not hysterical or anything of that nature. Yeah, yeah. Mm, it's great. Resilient. Anyway, gruel beams, Keith. Nicely put. <laughs> Thank you. Bree, mm. listeners will remember that you were keen to revisit the BFG. 
Yes. Why this doll in particular? Well, it's obviously my namesake, the Brie FG. <laughs> no, so we did discuss this in our first ever episode, so we reviewed The Witches. That This one was always my preferred Roald Dahl tale, probably very closely followed by Matilda. For me, it was always about the magic of that story, the, the unlikely befriending of a giant character and the almost father-daughter bond that is grown. But it's also about that spectacular language. So this isn't a maze runner or an Indian in the cupboard with its invented language. It's here each phrase for me said by the BFG either provokes a giggle or a or a thought or a feeling or it challenges you to or it challenges me to link it back to what the true English phrase might be. And it just makes this jumbly giant character lovable. The other reason is that, of course, it just so happens to be beautifully timed with the release of the movie here in Australia. So why not revisit it right now? Yes, there's a bit of synchronicity going on there. <laughs> well done, us. <laughs> well, there's a movie out. I didn't realise that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we won't be discussing that at all later on in this episode. Certainly not. <laughs> all right, let's see how it fares then, shall we? Please. For me, Seeking Tumness is about three things. Getting together with friends to chat, giving our thoughts about a book's quality, but also on some episodes, about how it feels to revisit books we've loved. And I, I feel we're always a bit kinder to books we've chosen or, or ones that we've enjoyed as children. And this episode, I felt a little, little tiny bit heartbroken. Let me start by saying, gosh, I loved the book as a kid. It was one of the most fun, enchanting and really well-crafted books. Further to that, I couldn't recommend it enough to what? A seven or eight-year-old, guys? Yeah, I'd probably, yeah, seven through nine, I'd say. Yeah, okay. I think you'd have to be fairly anti-reading as a kid to not enjoy the book. It's got ghastly giants and really fun language and an utterly lovable giant forming a friendship with a really stalwart little girl. It's a grade A book as far as I'm concerned. Stepping forward almost three decades, I just didn't feel it as much. I still liked it, but the language, the gobble funk as it's officially known, it just didn't tickle me as much as it used to, which is surprising because I'm sure you guys would agree of the three of us. I'm probably most resemblant of having a Peter Pan complex. <laughs> so that in particular made me a little bit sad. I'm really surprised by that. Mm. I loved it more because of that. Oh, really? Yeah, I just found it so fun and enlightening and adorable in a huge guy. Maybe it's because the leap between the words wasn't as... Well, I'm sure it wasn't challenging then, but just wasn't quite, maybe because I've read it so many times in the past and as an adult it's easier to link the words together. It wasn't wasn't quite as fun to do the translation, maybe. That aside, the, the resolution to the giant problem, rereading it now, felt a little bit more rushed than I remembered. Going to the Queen, the Queen ordering the armies to capture the giants and then the giants being captured almost immediately and dumped in a giant pit that had been dug overnight. It just felt a little too snappy at the end. I mean, I enjoyed it. I particularly enjoyed the Queen having the, the interaction with the BFG, but it just felt a little bit too quick. Yeah, in comparison to something like The Witches or Matilda, it did play out pretty quickly, that ending. Right. I find the ending in Matilda probably plays out over too long a time in some ways. Not Matilda, in The Witches. It just seemed over very quickly and there didn't seem to be too much danger of it going wrong. So, And there was one more thing that really irritated me, probably more than it should. Can you two guess what it was? I'll give you a clue. Breakfast. Hmm. 
great was the breakfast? I love the idea of this BFG <laughs> sitting atop grandfather clocks, eating eggs and sausages and toast and drinking coffee out of a huge gallon water jug. Oh, I need another clue. I want to get this, but I need some context. All right, I'll give you one more clue. I hadn't thought of this until now, so it might be a bit much, but caterpillars. What? No, they're not called caterpillars in the book. <laughs> no, that's true. Caterpillars, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. All right, so the BFG talks about being able to hear the most amazing things because he's got these whopping ears, which as a wingnut, as a child, I can sympathise with. <laughs> His hearing is so good that he can hear the heartbeats of people from down the street he can hear the singing of stars on quiet nights and animals talking to each other in their own languages. He's subsisted on snozcumbers for his whole life, strictly vegetarian, which if I could hear animals talking on a daily basis in sentient oh, conversation. Oh, God, you're going to go turtle on us. <laughs> oh, no. I might be too. <laughs> oh, God. But the one chance he has to have oh. breakfast with a... The Queen, he scoffs about 10 cows worth of sausages and 50 pigs worth of bacon. Now, I'm not a vegetarian. You know, I'm an omnivore. I eat meat most days. And if I'm not eating meat, I'm probably eating sugar or something. But, like, he, he just pours it down. He had spent not quite half a chapter, but a good page or two discussing with Sophie the philosophy of giants eating humans and humans being the only people that kill each other. And But they, do, they consider themselves cannibals. They don't consider that humans are a different race, so they're just like giants in that they're giant humans. Yeah. Right. So there's a very big distinction there. He also mentions how humans make up different rules for pigs, like pigs are quite happy having their own lives and then humans come along and eat them. And- he also talks about how plants feel pain, so there's no difference with the snozcumbers. Do they talk about plants talking to each other? Uh... I think he does talk about that. They certainly do in the movie version. I can't remember reading that specifically in the book, but if it's in the movie, of course it's in the book, right? Uh, maybe. But I think you've gone, you know, this doesn't really hold up to a lot of scrutiny, I and mean, I'll touch on that when I comment on it, in terms of the plot. Oh, jeez. But that's not, okay. that's not what it's about. And if you're thinking in those sort of terms, it's going to really destroy the experience, which I think it, it has for you here. So, no, I really enjoyed the book. Don't get me wrong. It's just this little niggle where he has heard, what was it? It was caterpillars and something else having discussions, maybe ants or. That was in the movie. Mice, mice. Ah, yes. Mm. Right, it was. Well remembered or well looked up very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> the former. As I said, it's hypocritical because I eat meat. And I love it. <laughs> but if I could hear these animals and mice talking to each other, I might think again. If you've been eating slimy, disgusting, oozy snozcumbers for your entire life and you're presented with a piece of delicious crispy bacon, tell me you're not going to eat the delicious crispy bacon. Well, I don't know. You might have some toast with mama. There is a reason why you are not a vegetarian. It is because meat is delicious. Yeah, and I can't hear animals having sentient conversations. Oh, dear. You're, you're going turtle. You're going He's turtle. He's turtling on us, definitely. <laughs> he really is. All right, guys. Coin the phrase. I wonder if we get any vegans or vegetarians sending me in pamphlets after this. <laughs> Please don't. If you take meat out of your diet, there's not much left. <laughs> no, well, there's sugar. <laughs> All right. Again, it's a great book and I really hope our listeners encourage their children to read it if they haven't already picked it up themselves. 
I have really fond memories of reading it several times, and I'm only just a little bit disappointed. I don't think I've got full turtle <laughs> um, that I didn't enjoy this reread quite as much as I enjoy The Witches. Keith, how did your reading fare? <laughs> a little better than that. I did start to sort of think about a few things like that, and I just pushed that down and, and continued enjoying it. So, yeah, this book is good. It's really good. It's fun. It's charming. But it has that dark, dangerous, and cheeky underbelly. And there's a typically Dalesque humour throughout, a lovable set of characters, a contrasting set of despicable ones as well. And as you mentioned there, the cameo by the Queen is particularly endearing. Mm. Mm. Typical to Dahl books, it moves along at a pretty impressive pace throughout, I guess quite similar to the BFG. There's enough time to get a real sense and understanding of both Sophie and the BFG, and part of that understanding is coming to term with the BFG's unique vocabulary, which I really enjoyed throughout the book. Like Laurie said there, part of that was that deciphering of what he's saying, and I remember doing that as a kid, so that was a nice little nostalgic flashback. You see this sort of language in other Dahl books, but in this one it's really ever-present and it's almost a character unto itself. The mechanics of the story, yep, I'll agree with Laurie there, don't really stand up to a great deal of scrutiny. But to me, it didn't matter in the slightest. And I think that should hold true for both children and adult readers. If you're thinking too much about this book, then you're not really enjoying the moment. Maybe that's just my perspective. Did you have the same sort of approach, Bree? Yeah, I absolutely did. I mean, I remember I actually read this, I guess, as an adult thinking, surely I was frightened of this as a kid because of the kid snatching and these, the blood bottler and the child chewer and the bone cruncher, all of these children are just disappearing off the streets around the world being chomped into a million pieces. But I just never was and I never was this time. Instead, I found myself going, yeah, of course. Kids from Greece must taste like Greece. That would be quite disgusting. <laughs> and Panama, yes, of course they taste all hatty and the boots from Wellington. And I just really, you know, that kind of magic just made me giggle and think, well, why not? And I loved that. Yeah, that's a good example of where you just enjoy the book for the, the funny little um, anecdotes and and not think too much about it. So I think it, this mm. is a perfect book for reading to children. As a parent, I guess it depends how disposed to being offended you are because there's a couple of extremely minor parts that you may want to omit or reshape for the reading. Bree, Bree, I thought maybe Ooh. you would be the one. No, I haven't mentioned it. I haven't picked it up. Please tell me which bits I'm avoiding. <laughs> oh, God. Censoring Roald Dahl. Go on. Well, the main the main point of contention that I noticed was in reference to Baghdad and beheadings. <laughs> I must have. Oh, okay. <laughs> Can you pull out the quote for us? Oh. Bree, why don't you tell us what you thought of the book? Okay. Um, so the other bit for me that I really liked was the dream capturing. So for me, that added to the magic of the story. So here's this big friendly giant who collects dreams in dreamland. And, you know, the good dreams are sort of shaped like these translucent, pearly, opalesque bubbles and the angry, red, fiery nightmares and capturing them in jars and he has this ability to say what the, what it is that they're about and reading through some of his little anecdotes and stories of the dreams just made me giggle they just made me laugh out loud it was really that just captured for me the magic of it and it provides a 
a basis almost for where do dreams come from? What's in it for us and what makes us laugh and why do some of us like different things in our dreams to others? The one thing in that that I didn't like, however, was the way that the classification of dreams for girls and dreams for boys was made because the boys ones made me laugh and I would love <laughs> to have a pair of boots where I could walk upside down on the roof. That, that to me was fantastic. Yeah, that's another one I thought you might have a bit of an issue with. Yeah, I did have an issue with it, so I've got that marked down. But I really enjoyed that that's his career and he really just generally wants to make people happy. Those dreams were amazing. Yeah. They were so funny. <laughs> can you read us one? I'll have to search my marked pages. In the meantime, I can hit you with the, the Baghdad comments. Please do, I think. <laughs> oh, yes. In five seconds, a voice was on the line. Here is the Sultan of Baghdad speaking, the voice said. Listen, Sultan, the Queen said. Did... Anything unpleasant happening in your city three nights ago? Every night unpleasant things are happening in Baghdad, the Sultan said. We are chopping off people's heads like you are chopping parsley. Totally missed that. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I I can see that that probably isn't uh, in line with modern thinking. No, that's hilarious. Yeah, I can't believe that one was missed by you guys. I think I thought about it at the time but moved on and forgot. Here's one of the dreams. So another boy's dream specifically. The telephone rings in our house and my father picks it up and says in his very important telephone voice, Simpkins speaking. Then his face goes white. His voice goes funny and he says, what? Who? Oh, yes, sir. I'll pass him. But surely it's me you wish to speak to, not my boy. Oh, all right. I'll get him. Let me take care of it for you, Mr. President, says the boy when he picks up the phone. And my father's eyes is goggling right out of his head. And that's when I was hearing my father's real voice saying, get up, you lazy slob, or you'll be late for school. I loved that. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. yeah. I was having a bath and I was discovering that if I press quite hard on my tummy <laughs> button, a funny feeling comes over me and suddenly my legs is not there. I has become absolutely invisible all over. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I like how that one led Sophie to sort of press her own belly button to see just whether that might happen to her as well. You can't tell me you didn't press your belly button just to check. No, I didn't. Now, this time? That was just me. That was just me. (laughs) I wouldn't want to dislodge the lint. (laughs) (laughs) So that was just me. So I liked it for the adorable BFG who made me smile and I loved it for this as you said very well, I think, Laurie, this stoic and stalwart girl who has this intelligence about her and who can think logically and come up with this fantastic plan to rid the world of these awful, awful giants. And I just, yeah, it captured the magic for me. Well said. Oh, Keith? Yes. I believe you wanted to share some of the history of the BFG with us. Yeah, so who is the BFG? He himself is a little bit coy about his history, but the true stories of his origin and his makeup are out there, and they're just a little bit sad. So firstly, the BFG himself was created by Dahl for his children. When he would put them to bed at night, he would tell them of a big friendly giant that was responsible for them having good dreams. After he left the room, he'd climb a ladder outside their bedroom and use a bamboo cane to blow dream powder in through the window. This came from an idea that he had scribbled down in a scrapbook and it first saw publication in 1975 in Danny the Champion of the World, which is one of my absolute favourite Roald Dahl books. In it, the BFG was a story that Danny's father told him while putting him to sleep. Now, talking about this dream powder, his daughter Ophelia recounts how the BFG's magical powder helped not only to ensure good dreams, but also to solve maths problems and constipation. (laughs) (laughs) 
The kids became suspicious about the existence of the BFG and questioned their dad. The next day, burnt in their lawn were the letters BFG, which Dahl, oh. being proud of his lawn, was suitably angry about. So it really sounds like he was a great dad. Yeah. Ophelia referred to him as being the most magical father. So much better than Blighton. Yes. <laughs> she was a horrible dad. <laughs> For those comments, I have to reference a podcast that I listened to. It's an excellent podcast called No Such Thing as a Fish, and that's from the episode No Such Thing as Dr. No Teeth, which also talks about Dahl's intense dislike for beards. Really? Oh. Yeah, we see that through the twits. He mm. thought of them as a hairy smokescreen for men to hide behind. Mm, he would hate the 80s and Patrick Moon. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, actually. On that episode, Tim Minchin is a guest and he obviously has a connection mm. with Dahl through the Matilda musical and he also has a beard. He confirmed that he had this dislike for beard because he'd worked closely with Dahl's daughter Lucy in putting that Matilda musical together. So that was interesting. Mm. I have forewarned that it was a sad tale and I haven't got to the sad bit yet. So the BFG is dedicated to his daughter Olivia, who died tragically and suddenly in 1962 from measles encephalitis at the age of seven. As a result, Dahl became a huge advocate of measles immunisation, which is something that was not available for Olivia because a reliable vaccine had not yet been discovered. And he went on to campaign for vaccination until his death. Uh, the other part... Dahl's first wife, the actress Patricia Neal, for a time had difficulty speaking, resulting from her suffering a number of strokes whilst pregnant in 1965. They damaged her parietal lobe, and that's the part of the brain responsible for integrating sensory information and also for language processing. So if you're connecting the dots now, her mixing up of words was the inspiration for the way the BFG communicates. Huh with some of her faux pas making it into the book, particularly Portido for Torpedo, although I have to wonder how much they were talking about torpedoes, Muggled for Confused, and Swatchgollop for Disgusting Food. Of all his stories, Dahl has named the BFG as probably his favourite, and it's plain to see why, as it has a number of personal connections with his own life. In addition to the aforementioned ones, Sophie, the main character in the book, is named after Roald Dahl's first grandchild. Oh, Sophie Dahl, yeah. Initially, it was after a boy. It was a little boy named uh, Jody. No, uh, yeah, I think it was Jody. Yeah, it was a sort of a unisex-sounding name. Yeah, but yeah, he changed it when his granddaughter was born. So, hmm. and just a little forewarning: a bit under seventy days from the release of this episode, you can celebrate Roald Dahl Day, which is the day he would have turned one hundred. Oh, you can actually download a party pack from RoldDahl.com. Hmm. What does it include? I haven't downloaded it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a collection of Roald Dahl stories read by Roald Dahl on CD that I might play for the kids, start to play for them. That'd be awesome. Yeah, so I really liked the way that even that aspect of the way the BFG spoke had an origin in his own life and it, to mm. him would have had a lot more meaning than it would have to everyone reading it. Whilst it's entertaining and fun, there's a personal side to it because he spent a lot of time helping to rehabilitate her after her strokes. Wow. Did you also read that the appearance of the BFG is after his gardener? Oh, no, I didn't read that. Yeah, apparently he had whopping giant ears. <laughs> and that was he reminds me of Roald Dahl himself and of my grandfather. Did he have whopping ears? He had quite large ears. Ah. I think it's a grandfatherly thing because, you know, the ears keep growing and, and whatnot. Do they? 
Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hoping my ears, which were quite large and sticky out here as a child, don't have a renaissance. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's a bit of history of the BFG. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, very interesting. Thank you. Makes me love it just, just a bit more, stupid turtle. All right. We all went and saw the movie, right? Yes. Correct. I'm really keen to hear what you thought of the movie, Laurie, because I have a few (laughs) suspicions. Uh, I thought the visual effects, for starters, were incredible. Like it it was a very stylized and beautiful world that Sophie got whisked away to. And the BFG in particular, I thought, was... I don't know if he was quite hyper-realistic. There was still sort of an element of him looking a bit fantastical. Obviously, he's a giant. He's going to look fantastical, but just a little bit strange, you know, that uncanny valley kind of thing. But I thought he looked great. I thought I liked that they changed what was a desert with blue rocks in the book where giant country was to this very lush and beautiful land. So visually, I thought it was great. (sighs) Two problems with it. The first problem was that I felt it was a little bit too whimsical, like a little bit too nice, a little bit too calm. I didn't feel as terrified as I remember being of the giants as a kid. Like they were really nasty brutes that ate children basically and were really mean to the BFG, whereas in this they were more like mean older brothers. You didn't quite get the sense of horror from the giants because you didn't see them reaching into windows and pulling out snacks that they'd then devoured. And that's probably an element of not wanting to scare their young audience. But when you don't have that balance, it just becomes a bit too quaint. Do you feel the same, Keith? Yeah, so I agree with everything you've said about the the cinematography, the colour palette, all those sort of things I think were amazing. Even the opening scene, I really liked it. It was a bit Harry Potter-esque coming into a city the way it did. I didn't like the how... The witching hour wasn't quite so witching. It was a bit noisy for me and a bit bright. <laughs> <laughs> With the drunks in the street and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be this time where everyone, including those people, are tucked away for the night. But anyway, that's a very minor quibble. But I loved the BFG. I think he was excellent. He was just how I had imagined him, down to the expressions he'd pull, his voice, everything about him, except the way he moved around. I mm. always imagined him striding silently and in the movie we see or we hear him having these almost booming footsteps as he gallops along, which didn't fit with the character. I didn't necessarily like Giant Land being more luscious than in the book just because it was it seemed to be different for the sake of it. And the giants in particular I didn't like at all. I thought they didn't have that lack of humanity that the giants in the book have mm. and that's really captured in Quentin Blake's illustrations, which I haven't touched on yet, but I think these are probably my favourite of all his illustrations in this book. They're fantastic. What about you, Bree? Uh, I really liked it. So I found it captured that magic for me. So it captured that gentle, whimsical dreamland in particular. I found that that entire scene of dream catching just beautiful the way it was fun and it was lighthearted and it was a real for me it was a real moment of bonding for both the giant and Sophie together it was a real elegant way of portraying that relationship I think and that was just uplifting and even just the way on their way to dreamland how 
they're following a stream up a mountain or the stream is flowing downwards and then they pass through the clouds into the dreamland and the water is flowing upwards. It was just a really elegant portrayal. Yeah, I wondered how they do the, the dream catching because in the book it's quite different. They're not these bright, colourful things in the book. Mm. You can sort of make them out once they're captured only and it's the mm. BFG that catches them through his amazing hearing. Mm. Yeah, and it's in a world that's mostly fog, right? Yes. It'd be very boring to watch <laughs> on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> so I found that really lovely and I really loved his his home, his den, his place. I found completely different to what I imagined and very different to how it was presented in the book, but I found that it was really... It was quaint and endearing, I guess. Yeah, it was really warm place and that to me was how they portrayed this BFG as well. He was cheeky, but he was kind-hearted and he really, he was an intelligent giant. So that intelligence is obviously there in, in some way in the book. He reads people. He read Sophie so well. And there's this real, almost this pathos there as well with this hint of a backstory about a, a young boy that he had also become friends with in the past who had been eaten by the giants. And for me, that was where I was a little bit disappointed, I think. There was this departure from the book that I understand why it was there. It was used as a bonding thing and to also explain why he was not wanting to keep Sophie. But I guess it was just a little departure. Having said that, it was really well done. You didn't think it was a little emotionally exploitative? No, and I don't have a problem with that in movies. That's the whole point. You need to tug on the heartstrings. And the way that this movie was put together, it was driving very clearly towards that. It really wanted you to tear up at the end, which I did, of course, and it doesn't have that same ending with the BFG and Sophie living happily ever after. Yes, they live happily. Not together, though. They're not going to see each other forever. They're just, they live happily in their own worlds. I thought it was beautifully done. Keith, how did you feel about the ending? There was a departure from what happened in the book. In the book, they're captured and taken to a giant hole in London and kept there on exhibit effectively. Which is a bit crap, if I'm brutal. Uh, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit crap, but I thought the ending in the movie was a bit more crap. No, I liked that. <laughs> no, because you have these giants that can traverse. It's never patently spelled out because the connection between giant land and earth, although the giants can travel there and so can helicopters when following the BFG, it's never really discussed as to whether it's over land or water, but presumably it's over a significant mass of water. And here it's supposed that they can be trapped and retained on this island, which I guess is me doing exactly what I said you shouldn't do with the BFG and thinking too much about it. But, yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> I enjoyed the movie overall, so I've probably said a lot of critical things about it. But overall, I think it was it was good. And I broke my duck on going to movies alone with this one, which is... Broke your duck? Yeah. As in... Is that a, is that a phrase? Yeah, a duck is a zero, so I'm no longer on the duck. Ah, it's a cricket term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For the first time, I went to the movies on my own, which was a bit strange given that this is a children's movie in school holidays. So <laughs> I felt a bit self-conscious until the lights went off. Well done. Well done. But didn't impact on my enjoyment of the movie or on the packet of Maltesers that I consumed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Bree said, I didn't feel I needed to incorporate that story of 
the BFG's previous child friend, how the flesh lump eater had eaten the previous child. I don't see the need for that in this story. I guess maybe it's to make them a bit more menacing, but I didn't think it was needed. Yeah. Having said that, it's a pretty light on plot, so they did have to add a bit more to it to flesh it out, and they did a pretty good job of that in that it went for almost two hours. Hmm. What about the Rob Scottle and the whiz popping scene? I like the whiz popping. That made me laugh out loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a child. I- <laughs> <laughs> Can you explain what the frobscottle and whiz popping are? Yeah, frobscottle is the drink that giants consume. It's a fizzy drink, but unlike our fizzy drinks, the bubbles in frobscottle go down. So if you just stop for a moment to think of that, <laughs> think of what the repercussions may be for someone who's consuming frobscottle. And you're exactly right because it does result in what the giants term whiz popping which is the expulsion of gas from one's lower regions as a sign of happiness. <laughs> so we have this scene in the movie where the BFG has just been served this massive breakfast by the Queen and he removes or retrieves from his bag a massive bottle of frobscottle. Sophie seeing this is immediately making eyes with the BFG, indicating that he should not do anything with it. But being the generous man he is, he offers it to all and sundry and (laughs) (laughs) fills many wine glasses with it. It's then dished out to many of the attendees of the breakfast, including the queen, her corgis, the servant. Like the chief butler and... They all have a rip-farting good time. Yes, they all consume it and then we see some very funny faces as they try to hold back. Yes, in that very prim and proper British kind of, you know, <laughs> uh-oh. Yeah, so it's a, it's a really fun scene, I thought, and I enjoyed that a lot. And I think I didn't cry at the end of the movie. I think I came closest to crying at that scene with how much I was laughing. <laughs> oh. All right. There's one thing about the movie that distracted me for quite a bit of the movie. If you're in front of a computer, Keith, just to refresh your memory... You should look up a picture of Sophie and then in another window look up a picture of Matt Lucas from Little Britain. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't done it, but I don't need to. (laughs) Like she has a very, very – I looked at her, immediately thought she must be the young niece or something of Matt Lucas and I expected for half of the movie for her to claim that she was the only gay in the village. (laughs) Oh, no. The resemblance was uncanny. I didn't draw that parallel. I can see where you're coming from, though. Right. I thought she was, on the whole, pretty good. Some of her lines were a bit forced. She was having to act in front of a blue screen for a lot of it, though, because it was this giant behind her, so I felt for her on that one. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's, That's a really good point. This child having to act for this entire movie on her own, I mean, that's good going. I thought she did a good job. Yeah, even Ian McKellen broke down in tears one time in front of a green screen because he said something like, I didn't get into acting to do this. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It can be quite quite challenging, I imagine. Yeah, she was for the most part pretty good, so Ruby Barnhill was her name. But the BFG in particular was pretty awesome. And I should credit the BFG actor, that's Mark Rylance. He should win an award for that, but probably won't because this movie hasn't been that well received. Oh, Really? No, it hasn't. And unfortunately, because it's going up against Finding Dory, it's just getting smashed. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I mean. Sorry. In terms of critical reviews, it's been reasonably well reviewed. And I think most people that see it seem to hold the same view, but not enough people are seeing it. That's the problem. Shame. It is a shame because I think this is one of the better role adaptations. Well, certainly the biggest budget. Certainly better than The Witches, which was (laughs) awful. 
No, The Witches isn't awful. The it's... movie was awful. No, it's not awful. Remember those horrible green – oh, no, no good. It's equal opportunity for the extras as The Witches as well. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't great. Anybody got any quotes? I have some quotes here. I've got one. Oh, go on. What is more, I'm getting famished. I haven't had a thing to eat for 24 hours. And BFG says, then we had better get crackling. <laughs> <laughs> very good. I is not a very know-all giant myself, but it seems to me that you is an absolutely know-nothing human being. Your brain is full of rotten wool. You mean cotton wool, Sophie said. What I mean and what I say is two different things, the BFG announced rather grandly. <laughs> I've got some more, just for some funny words. Piffle fizz, shouted the blood bottler. Bug swallop, he boomed. You is talking to a human being, that's what I is thinking. No, no, cried the BFG. Yes, yes, boomed the blood bottler. I is guessing you have switched away a human being and brought it back to your bunghole as a pet. So now I is winking it out and guzzling it as extra snacks before my supper. Yes, that's right, the word bunghole is in there. (laughs) (laughs) That's cruel, Sophie said. Everything alive needs food of some sort, even trees and plants. The north wind is alive, the BFG said. It is moving. It touches you on the cheeks and on the hands, but nobody is feeding it. Sophie was silent. You're really close to the quotes about plants there. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I have one more as well. How much do giants sleep? Sophie asked. Those never wasting much time snoozing, the BFG said. Two or three hours is enough. When do you sleep? Sophie asked. Even less, the BFG answered. I sleep only once in a blue baboon. (laughs) <laughs> Upgoing bubbles is a catastrophic disastrophe. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a good one. The thing that tickled me most were the dreams. Oh, maybe I'll just read a couple of the dreams because I enjoyed them so much. These are the short ones. I was able to make the electric lights go on and off just by wishing it. I was only an 80-year-old little boy, but I was growing a splendid bushy beard and all the other boys is jealous. <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting one given what I've already said there. Yeah, that's mm. true. I is able to jump out of any high window and float down safely. I has a pet bee that makes rock and roll music when it flies. I loved all those dreams. They were the best. They are pretty awesome because they're kind of small thinking, but at the same time, amazing. Mm. And some of them are ones that you've probably had as a child, right? I could jump out of buildings and float down softly at times. It was great. You mean that rock and roll bee? (laughs) (laughs) Shall I score? Yes. Scoring? This book tastes like human beans, Panama hats, Wellington boots, and the bookish flavour of Britain. Or this book is a repulsant snozcumber. I squoggle it, I mispise it, I dispunge it. Filthsome coffee, horrible swig pill. Mm-hmm, agreed. Queen's breakfast, fried eggs, sausages, toast, and makes snozcumbers taste like... Swatch wallop. Bloody murder. Or frobscottle. Nothing but a whiz-popping great time. Keith? It's Queen's Breakfast, but approaching frobscottle. Did I say that right? You did. Good. That's what I thought. For me, it's a Queen's Breakfast. For me, it is also approaching frobscottle. Yeah, the only reason why I didn't go with frobscottle, or one of the only reasons, is that there is some dial books that I prefer, so I had to leave room for them. 
Although I feel this will be the last time we visit Dale. I think so as well. Doesn't mean it's the last time we talk about him, though. That's true. It's hardly an episode where we don't mention (laughs) Dale, unfortunately. (laughs) It's what binds us. But if you do wish to hear us talking more about Dahl, please tune in to our sister podcast. <laughs> Come on, you need a punny name to go with that. Uh, oh, um, oh, my darlings. <laughs> Can you think of a better name? No, I can't. Well, that's pretty good. So what was that, a 4.5 or 4, 4.5 and a 4? Yes. It was. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Next episode, there's a book some of you may have heard of. It's available in a few specialty bookstores, or if you're really having trouble finding one, you might find a copy on eBay. It's a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore known in close literary circles, but one we're glad to be shining a much-needed light on next episode. It's called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone by J.K. Rowling. Sounds a bit naff, I agree, but let me let you in on a little secret. It's fairly well regarded. (laughs) Until then, thank you for listening. And remember, if it's dark and silent outside and the rest of the world has gone to sleep and giant dark shadows are crop dusting gleefully past your window, bury yourself under the covers, turn on a little light and keep reading. Crop dusting their way past. (laughs) 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 Uh, Very good. The following 70 minutes or so are an accounting of the dreams and nightmares we had as children. As you well know, other people's dreams are potentially the most boring things you can ever listen to at a party. So feel free to hit stop, go rate us 5 stars on iTunes, and come back to us next episode. If you continue, well, you were warned. What, what is the scariest dream you remember? The scariest dream I remember is the Wicked Witch of the West following me in a supermarket. Ooh. (laughs) And insisting that you choose free-range eggs? I don't recall how it ended, but it was kind of just this, no matter where I went, I would turn and see her head poke out from from the end of the aisle. (laughs) Jeez. All right. I've just done Um, a quick Google. The villains are referred to as the shadow, a repressed or denied power in the subconscious that threatens your well-being. Does that mean I should be pressing my belly button just to see if I have some special powers? (laughs) (laughs) A dream in which you are being chased by the villain may represent a deep fear of aggression that if not unmasked can weaken your ego. (laughs) Great. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Bree. All right, Keith, and the most entertaining dream you can recall, like pleasant or fun. I don't recall an entertaining dream. All right, well, 
That's you a bit weak. Clearly a sociopath and... <laughs> I must say that dream with the Wicked Witch of the West is from my childhood. So I haven't yes. had that anytime recently that I know of. Bree, what about you? The scariest nightmare that you've ever had? Scariest nightmare? Well, I'm not, so, I'm not sure that this counts as a nightmare, but it was I was dreaming of jumping off a cliff and usually I fly, okay? So that's my, my good dream. Usually I can fly and I can you know, move my body in different ways so that I can actually fly in different directions. But on this particular occasion, I jumped off the cliff and woke up on the floor. So I had clearly fallen out of bed. <laughs> All right. What about the most entertaining dream you've ever had that um, you can recall? Entertaining? I don't know that I can think of an entertaining one. One that I had. Well, well sorry, not entertaining f- for the audience because I'm sure they'll be bored shitless with this one. <laughs> but one that you had fun in. Yeah. One that I had fun in. I loved that I abseiled down to some netball courts to play a game of netball. What a life. <laughs> <laughs> Dare to dream. <laughs> All right. Um, for myself, I had a recurring nightmare as a child where I would be abducted from my family by a nasty ferret. Mm. A ferret? Too much red wool. <laughs> <laughs> this is like my earliest memory. And it would take me from my bed and drag me under this. It was like a. What do you call those boxes that you put stuff in for when you get married? You know, old Yeah, tiny, I know what you're talking about. Um, not a chastity box, something <laughs> like that. Though. One of those dowry things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a box that had no room for anything to fit underneath. But anyway, it would drag me underneath there and keep me away from my family. And although I didn't get along with my brother as a child, the, the dream stopped recurring when... The monster raced out from underneath this box, ran towards me to steal me under the box and take me away from my family. And my brother picked me up in the air and stomped on it. And then I never had the dream again, oh. which was odd. I know. It's the best thing he ever did for me. <laughs> <laughs> Big shout out. Yeah, yeah. Better send him this podcast and make sure he listens. Mm, he won't. <laughs> and the best dream I can recall. I mean, I had lots of fun flying dreams, like often, probably as recent as a month ago. But the most entertaining dream, I worked for a while in retail and I worked in a particular shopping centre in Sydney uh, down south. It was called MacArthur Square and it was one of those shopping centres where it's two levels and in the middle is a great big gap. So you've got sort of two avenues, one on top of each other. Great big and gap, not meaning the American fashion store. No, 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 no. Like a big void in between the two rows of shops upstairs. So you can look from upstairs down to downstairs and that, and this goes on a very long sort of building, right? Um, <clears throat> anyway, I was Spider-Man. I was swinging about. <laughs> I was leaping down between the gap and then um, ending up on the roof upside down and running around the walls and leaping. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't fighting Electro or Venom or Sandman or... Uh, the Green Goblin or the Hobgoblin or Demo Goblin or Carnage or... Or Mall Security. Hello, Mall Rats. <laughs> but it was just so fun. Ah, oh, being Spider-Man was the best thing that has ever happened to me, uh, awake or asleep. So, yes, that was it. All right, I'm sure people just hate hearing about people's dreams. So. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly mine that I don't recall. <laughs> Let's move on.